On Cinema Smorgasbord presents How Do You Do, Fellow Kids, we discuss the life and film career of the always unique character actor Steve Buscemi. On this episode, we're talking about the 2001 animated Pixar classic, Monsters, Inc. How do you do, fellow kids? I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as usual is the Mike to my Sully, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? Why do I got to be Mike? Mike sucks. I think anyone who's ever listened to any of the podcasts that we've recorded would not argue with the idea that you're Mike and I'm Sully. I mean, I get why you're Sully, <laughs> mm-hmm. because you are a massive monster of a man, but that that meaning that I have to be Mike is a real letdown. You don't want to be associated with Billy Crystal in any way, shape, or form. I don't have anything against Billy Crystal, you know. It's just uh, this character is particularly annoying. Although, I got to be honest, I'm trying to think of a Billy Crystal character that's not annoying. And I don't know that I can think of one. But Let I'm... me throw this out there because we have a Carol Kane podcast, Liam. I don't know if you're aware. It's called Praising Kane. I've never heard of um, it. And eventually on that podcast, we're going to cover The Princess Bride, a very oh, well-known sure. and yeah, beloved yeah. film. And Billy Crystal is in that film. He shows up in the same scene as yeah. Carol Kane Have shows fun up. storm in the castle. Yeah, that. I think he sucks in that movie, and he's annoying in it. I think his shtick uh-huh. uh-huh. is annoying. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. And I'm not saying that he's always bad in everything, I'm, and including the movie that we're talking about today. I'm not saying he's bad in that. But I will say, I think that he is anachronistic in The Princess Bride in a way that I think is bad for the movie. Huh, interesting. I think he is always annoying, universally. <laughs> and the question is, does that annoyance work or not? I would argue that for the purposes of this movie, he's actually not miscast because this is the character that they wrote. In fact, right. the worst parts of the character are not even his fault, right? Like, the script really wants you to be okay with what an incredible selfish prick that Mike is mm-hmm. and just think that that's cool, you know? And Ooh. so that's not Billy Crystal's fault. It's just the fact that he is annoying. And But here's the thing about him is that that's part of his humor. If you remember, I don't know if you ever watched uh, – the season of Saturday Night, it may have been a few seasons actually of Saturday Night Live that he was on when he had that character where he shoves different things in his ear. You know, I had this uh, the thing, you know, the bomb, I shove it in my ear, and you know, it hurt, it hurt a little bit. You know, that character and you do uh, a pretty good Billy Crystal. No wonder you're the Mike in this relationship. Yeah, well, I mean, that character is annoying as hell, but that's the joke. You know what I mean? And I, I'm sure there's someone out there who's a huge Billy Crystal fan, and I'll have an example. But for me. What Billy Crystal does is be annoying. And the question is, does it work for this role or not? Because I can't th- – again, I'm, I'm no expert, so I'm sure someone might have an example. But I can't think of anything Billy Crystal has done where the premise was thought that he was annoying. I mean, the that, I think the is, example that a lot of people would be thinking about right now is When Harry Met Sally, where he's so, meant to be a romantic lead, right? Uh, who is annoying. That's – it's – I mean, the character I, – I, okay. I haven't watched it long enough to make a show. How about My Giant? <laughs> remember that movie? <laughs> no, I don't remember that movie. Um, I haven't watched When Harry Met Sally recently, so I'm not going to make a strong argument, but I think that there's probably something annoying about that character, is my guess. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fair enough. Hey, uh, you know what uh, Billy Crystal character I love? 
What's that? His jazz man character. No, no. Can you nope. dig that, Liam? No, I just <laughs> my skin is crawling right now. So <laughs> anyway, uh, that was actually going to be a topic when we started talking about the movie proper, Billy Crystal. But I think we've mostly covered it. The, the summary is Billy Crystal annoying, and sometimes that's appropriate for certain characters that he's playing. But generally, it's just an irritating presence. <laughs> he's been around for like 50 fucking years now. I think that someone could make the argument that it's appropriate for most of the characters he plays. It's just whether you think it's funny or not. But I don't think the joke is ever that he's not annoying, at least to me. That always seems to be this, the foundation of the humor, right? You know, I don't know. I could be wrong. You, you know what's really funny is him saying, you look marvelous. Remember when he used to say that on SNL? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, talking about a terrible fucking catchphrase. It was a different time, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Liam, you know who we can both agree on is good mm. is Leslie Feist, the uh, the singer songwriter. Sure. Do you have any opinion on Feist? Um, you know, I thought that first record was okay, but I, it was I was at a time in my life where I was listening to a lot of stuff that sounded vaguely like that. So I think I was more primed to be excited about it. I wonder if I went back to it now, if I would still be stoked on it, you know? I don't know. Because nah, she's good. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I think my tolerance for that kind of coffee shop mid two thousands singer songwriter stuff is kind of like fizzled out, you know? Like I don't imagine myself putting on not only her like okay, so like a standout would be Nico Case, right? Like sure. Nico, Nico Case still good, top to bottom, good. But like, um, oh, how am I suddenly? I had so many of these albums, and now I can't remember any. Well, I guess that's a good sign that it wasn't for me because none of them <laughs> stuck around in my brain. But the the three that I can think of, Feist is the one I'm least excited about because the other one is Florence and the Machine. But she actually changed her stuff over time, and now I think she still does stuff that's interesting, even if I'm not a huge fan. Florence and the Machine still does some interesting stuff. But Feist, I feel like that – in my brain, there was something kind of twee about the Feist stuff that I think is not really up my alley right now. Well, I bring up Feist for a reason, Liam. Feist, Sibusemi, and the Nationals' Matt Berninger – is that how you pronounce his name? Matt Berninger? Sure. Berninger? Matt Berninger, star in the video for Berninger. Hades. Star in the video for Hayden's new single on a beach. Now Hayden is a Canadian singer songwriter. Uh, was very popular in the uh, late '90s, early 2000s. But also uh, the reason that probably the connection with Sibusemi is that he provided the music for Trees Lounge. I think the first film that we covered on this podcast, uh, and has obviously uh, maintained a relationship with Sibusemi ever since then. A lot of credibility, I would say. Hayden is beloved by certain people in this particular country. But he has a star-studded new music video, Liam, which I did. Forced you to watch. What did you think? It was fine. Um, I liked how it coincided with the song. Like sometimes recently, music videos seem to be almost entirely unrelated to the topic of the song. So I liked that it felt uh, a bit narrative. Um, but I also... The song, by the way, is called On a Beach. Mm -hmm. But I also felt like the whole thing both the narrative of the song and the song itself just felt a little half-baked to me. It didn't feel like a full single. It felt like it should be like a interstitial bit between two other more realized songs. I only have two thoughts on this particular subject, Liam. A, I do like some of Hayden's music that I've heard. Uh, that is actually not one of the thoughts now that I think about it. One is, I think the song comes to life when Feist starts singing in it. I think Fair. it becomes a lot better. 
Um, and B, I, I always considered Hayden kind of like an ordinary looking fella. Like that was kind of his deal is that he didn't have yeah, like a superstar yeah. look. Very handsome man. He's grown into a handsome man and he shows up in this video. I, I was taken aback by his handsomeness. I was unfamiliar with what he looked like, so mm-hmm. I didn't have a strong opinion one way or the other. I did when I realized that I wasn't sure if that was him, too, because, uh, well, I guess I assumed it was probably him only because I know vaguely what Feist, what, uh, I don't forget what her first name is, but I know Leslie. She, Leslie. I know what she Is that right? Like. <laughs> I have no idea. I think that's right. <laughs> Whatever. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, point is, I kind of knew it was probably her, so I thought, okay, well, that must be him. Handsome looking guy. Uh, I did not recognize the other guy though from the National at all. I just didn't. Are you a big fan of that band, the National? Um, I wouldn't say big. That's the sort of band that it's hard to say you're a big fan when so many people are like obsessed with them. Yes, that's true. But I do think they have a number of records that I enjoy. But as you know, because we occasionally talk about music, they also fall into a category of more my jam. In the 2000s than they are yes. now, and mm-hmm. I, but unlike Feist, who I think there's not much there in my opinion, uh, with the National, it's not them. I think they're great. I just don't listen to a lot of stuff that sounds like that right now. I bet if I put on one of their records right now, it would still be great. It's it's not it's not that they that I was fooled into liking them. Like I wouldn't. I don't feel about them the way I feel about certain Sufjan Stevens records that I right. no longer can jive with. Interesting. Yeah, well, I, I don't think I've ever we've ever talked about. I I don't think we should go down this road necessarily. But can you give me an example of one of Sufjan's records that you you used to like but no longer do? Oh, the I mean I'd say both the Illinois and the Ooh. other state record. I'm Michigan. They, yeah, they just sort of wear on me a little bit, and I think Ooh. it's a little different with him too because. It's not just that that was a time in my life that I no longer connect to. It's also that his newer stuff is, for me, so superior that I don't know what the appeal was of the old stuff because it's so different in my mind. Although I will say I am not as stoked on some of the digital stuff. Some of the digital stuff I think works really well. Uh, and some of it I find a little grating. But the more acoustic-y stuff, you know, uh, like the album about his parents or the song he did for um, Call Me By Your Name, yeah. some of that stuff destroys me. Like, tears in my eyes destroys me, you know? Yeah, Carrie and Lowell, good, yeah, really yeah, good yeah. album. Great. Uh, yeah, Lin- unbelievable. And at a time when I had written him off, I thought it was over for him. And then Carrie and Lowell came out, and I was like, never mind. I like this more than all the stuff I thought was your best stuff. This is better, you know? So. So the concept of this video is that it looks like a couple in some sort of marriage counseling or counseling of some kind. The couple played by Hayden and Feist and the counselor or a hypnotist in this case, played by Steve Buscemi, hypnotized the couple to be literally and figuratively on a beach. Uh, and uh, while they're uh, on this beach and they're enjoying all the beachy stuff around, they run into Mac from the National, who also hypnotizes them. And it kind of I guess, brings them back to reality. Uh, it's fine. It's a, it's a perfect, I feel like these days, like musicians don't get many resources to make videos, so that they have to kind of keep their concepts really small. And certainly when you're not exactly a super mainstream name, it probably um, exacerbates that a little bit, but it's a perfectly good song and a perfectly good video. Liam, any other thoughts on, on a beach? I mean, it looked nice. I appreciate that. Like I've seen a number of videos recently that felt like they were not filmed well in the cinematography sense you know so this at least looked cool uh but you know narratively it just 
it 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 was a, a short lived gimmick. Liam, on a previous episode of uh, this podcast, we talked about the uh, the film The Year Between about a, a young person with bipolar disorder, uh, starring and directed by Alex Heller. Uh, the character in this film, uh, her father is played by Steve Buscemi. There, I believe it's actually streaming on VOD right this moment. Uh, it certainly is supposed to be released in March of 2023. Uh, recently, they have released a trailer for it, Liam. I, When we were reading the description many episodes ago, I have to say, it, it, not much kind of jumped out as necessarily appealing. But what did you think of this trailer? I think we were actually a bit dismissive of this movie. I think we, we were. I think you were. And cool. I entirely take that back. This trailer looks awesome. Uh, I kind of feel like this brand of comedy has maybe rotted my brain because as we've talked about older comedy, like a lot of things that I found funny when I was younger, I no longer care about in the same sure. way. It's possible that it's overexposure because I watched a lot of comedy at a certain point, but now this brand of like kind of funny, kind of sad, definitely a bit uh, ludicrous. It's a lot more what I look for in comedy. Maybe that just represents that I'm an unhappy person. I don't know, but uh, I thought this looked awesome and I might watch it as soon as I can. Woo. Uh, the plot is as described here. Uh, the year between is the story of Clements Miller, a college sophomore who is forced to move back home after having a mental breakdown, faced with a surprising diagnosis of bipolar disorder and a jarring return to the Illinois suburbs. Hey, Liam, Illinois. She has to learn how to live with her well-meaning but frustrated family and find balance in a world that seems hell-bent on thwarting her. I agree, Liam. I think the trailer looks really good. Um, it, it did not get overwhelmingly positive reviews when it was going through the uh, various festivals, but uh, I, I I think that it, it seems like there's a lot to recommend it. I mean, I'm I'm at the very least I'm willing to give it a shot in a way that when we were talking about it previously, I wasn't. So I guess that's the thing a trailer is supposed to do. I guess what I'm really saying is Liam, everyone should watch trailers. I mean, I actually do love to watch trailers, which is why. I am particularly annoyed when trailers do give away everything. Sure. Because I'd rather watch... I, I know there are a lot of people who avoid trailers like The Plague, partly because sometimes they do give away so much. But for me, I get so stoked on a good trailer, Doug. Like, it just... I get excited. It's like one yeah, of me my too. favorite things. There was a time... And I don't think they do it anymore. But there was a time when, of all apps, Hulu had a huge trailer section that they updated mm. with every new trailer. And me and Susie used to watch the trailers, and especially because a lot of them were not obvious big movie trailers. Sure. They were lesser known things, and so we would just rock through a bunch of those in like a, a, a half hour. Just That would be what we were doing, just watching trailers, because I got so excited on the variety of movie options. It's, it's weird. Now, I, I don't always know where to find trailers of movies I don't already know about. And I don't sometimes want to watch trailers for the bigger movies because they do kind of spoil the movie a little bit, depending on, you know, who cut it or whatever. So, yeah, it was one of the fun things talking to Alan Tumayan about yeah. it, right? Yeah. Uh, someone who has a lot of experience with that. Liam, we do have friends who are dorks. Would you agree with that? Uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure I'm a dork, but yeah, sure. <laughs> well, some of those friends are dorkish in a way where they will show up late to a movie specifically so they don't see the trailer what do you think about that i hate it well i will say in a world of reserved seats i hate it less than i once did but sure doug 
Have you ever been the person saving seats for people at a premiere and they show up late? A premiere? No. Uh, maybe not a premiere premiere, but like a late night, you know, like a thing where people, mm. where there's the possibility it could sell out. I've held seats for people in a sold out theater where the people who are threatening me are going to have to go sit in the front of the theater. Right. But I'm holding seats for these motherfuckers. I, I don't know how I stayed friends with them after that. Like, seriously, it, it like makes me upset just thinking about it. Were, were they late specifically because they didn't want to see or, or experience certain parts of this thing? I think that in a couple cases it was because they knew they could get there late because I was getting there early. Oh, that sucks. And they were like, oh, that way we don't have to worry about anything. And I was very mad. That doesn't really go back to my I think thought about people showing up late to his trailers. <laughs> well, because it got me in a mood where I thought people who show up late for movies are dickheads. But then now that seats are reserved, it's kind of easier to show up. Like if someone really hates trailers that much, although I don't know how you time it, Doug, because sometimes I show up for a movie and there's already commercials on, then there's more commercials, then yeah. there's trailers, then there's more commercials after the trailers. I feel like movies all start an hour late now. Yeah, you're probably, yeah, there is something to that as well. That, that I mean, again, not to go, I don't want to go off on a rant here, Liam, uh, but this thing where there's they do trailers and then they have commercials and then they put another trailer, like commercials in the middle of the trailers, that's too much. Uh-huh. That 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 is that is my breaking point, Liam. I don't know what I'm going to do about it, but it's my breaking point. The thing where they're streaming the lowest quality version of a trailer from a fucking internet file, <laughs> and it's not only does it not fill up the screen, but it's kind of pixelated, and this and the sound doesn't fucking work over the Dolby right. I've experienced that in many theaters now, and every time I think, I just want to punch someone in the face. Liam, this is going to bum me out as well. Uh, I know that you're a big Chekhov fan. <laughs> Oh, huge. <laughs> Fucking huge. Well, Three Sisters with Greta Gerwig, Oscar Isaac, Steve Buscemi, Lola Kirk, and more officially postponed. This is the New York Theater Workshop was planning to present the Russian drama in 2020 initially. And then again in 2023, they've indefinitely postponed its planned production of Chekhov's Three Sisters, which was set to be directed by Sam Gold in a new version by Claire Barron. Liam, uh, I don't know much about Chekhov, even though I'm supposed to be a learned person. But I do want to ask you about the theatrical experience for like plays and things like that. I think we've talked about this a little bit before. Um, have you you've had experience seeing a Broadway show? Is that correct? Yes. What did you see? Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the last thing I went to on Broadway was Les Mis. Right. I think that's right. Now, off Broadway, I saw the Evil Dead musical in its original run. Right. Though I did leave my fake bloodied shirt at somebody's house and it's gone forever (laughs) i saw the evil dead musical in toronto uh and this is not a um here this isn't a very amusing anecdote but i'm going to bring it up anyway uh the television show orphan black one of the stars of it is a gentleman named christian brune sure uh christian brune was in that cast Playing not not the Ash character, the uh, what's his name, Mike? What is it? The the, the other guy in the lead. Sure. Uh, but but the lead in the night that I was there was sick, so Kristen Brune play, played Ash in it. I thought that's pretty neat. And Jill got fuck. We sat in the splash zone. Jill got fucking soaked, and I got no blood on me whatsoever. <laughs> that's pretty fun. 
Liam, we're here today to talk about Monsters, Inc. from the year 2001. Is this a film that you have uh, any uh, familiarity with? Oh, yeah. I, I've probably seen it, maybe not a ton, probably like four or five times. Um, it's one of those ones that uh, would be on for friends who had kids or right. you'd see it in like a school context or something. Um, and I've watched it with Maeve a couple times. I think you mentioned this before as well, but Maeve, does she kind of fixate on a movie and then watch it again and again and again like some kids do? Not anymore. Now that she's discovered YouTube, she just wants to watch YouTube all the time. Mm. And I have to like negotiate with her to watch a movie. Not that she doesn't like movies, uh, but it's she just feels like it's a long commitment, which I, you know it is for a six-year-old to commit to that much time in one spot to finish a movie. I mean, you think that, she wouldn't care that much about time. She has tons of it left on this earth. The rest of us, they're running out like this, right? Oh yeah, I'm. That's exactly how six year olds think, though. <laughs> crazy person. Uh, but yeah, there was a time when she was, when she was younger. Yeah, she. We watched Moana a lot. We watched um, Frozen a lot. There was just a, a run of movies. Even when she was a little bit older, there was a brief period where she got obsessed with Miyazaki films, including mm. Castle in the Sky. She got so obsessed with Castle in the Sky that she kept insisting I make her egg on toast like they have in the movie, even though <laughs> she never liked it. She never really liked it, but she wanted to eat it because of the movie. But what's funny that I think non-parents don't realize about kids is that their memories are not like very solid when they're young sure. so the other day we watched castle in the sky and it was like she had never seen it before she couldn't remember a single moment of it and she was getting huh. really into it and excited and had no idea what was going to happen and i was like this is literally the 10th time you've seen this movie <laughs> <laughs> have you ever tried to get mave to watch I mean, I'm sure you've got, gotten her to watch things that you would be more interested in or maybe movies that you liked when you were younger. But, like, you've probably seen people on social media, even friends of yours who are parents, who, like, their kids are, like, are really into the stuff that they are into as well. Has that ever been, like, a, a goal of yours to be, like, you know, watch horror movies or shit like that? I mean, she's kind of young for that, obviously. I mean, yes and no. I want to create a relationship with her where she's open to me showing her things because I like them. Right. But I think part of that involves not forcing things mm. because I think once you force it, then I mean, it's possible she'll still be into it, but then it, I kind of am curious about like how real that is or if it's just sort of performative um, or, and I think this is more likely just knowing May's personality, they'll just totally reject it. And then the, it's over because you pushed it too hard. And so for me, you know, if she likes some of the stuff I like, I think that's fine. What I'd prefer is that she both knows the stuff that I like, but also is contemporary with whatever's going on with the kids. And that way I kind of um, have a foot in both worlds, you know, and, oh. and I don't need to be an expert on actual pop culture. I just want to be an expert on the things that I like. And so like she respects that I like what I like and she can come to me and talk about certain kinds of stuff, but she'll know what's going on with the kids and she can tell me about that. And I won't fucking know because I'm already old. So by then I'll be really old. But uh, but I've never like pushed like we've shown her stuff. But if she's not into it, she's not into it. I mean, to be fair, she's also unpredictable. Like, she loves A Nightmare Before Christmas, but she's never been able to get past the hyenas and the Lion King because they're sure. too scary. Right. So, like, what she's going to find scary. I mean, we even watched recently Netflix had a live action 
horror movie for kids called The Night Books. Mm-hmm. And I thought, there's no fucking way this is going to be too scary for her. She watched the whole thing and was not scared at all. Like, she thought it was totally chill. But sometimes, like, an episode of The Owl House, she'll be like, oh, this is too scary. And so, like, I, we'll turn it off or we'll, like, she'll hold my hand and not look until it's less scary <laughs> or whatever. So she goes back. It's 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 a little unpredictable. Um, but I just don't – I don't buy into the whole thing where it's like I need to inject all of my taste into the lime of my daughter. If I find myself – like even with music, like if I find myself pushing too much of my music, then it's like – that feels weird. It feels like I'm sure. like trying to create a clone of myself. That doesn't sound fun. I want her to be her own person. And if she happens to like some like fucking, you know, country song or some oh, shit. Oh, sorry, yes. Right, sure, whatever, country music. Well <laughs> – I don't know that that might be a, a bridge too far. This. Can you episode. imagine if you had like new country just playing in your fucking place all day? <laughs> Dad, turn it to the new country station. <laughs> she does one oh three. She does have a real vibe that she knows which songs are like dad's music and she'll be like sure oh, can we not listen to dad's music but i don't think she's figured out how much of her music is also dad's music <laughs> <laughs> well speaking of children's entertainment Liam, we are here to talk about monsters inc let us take a break when we return it's the pixar classic monsters inc all right let's get a move on people we are on in seven six five four Okay, people, Eastern Seaboard, coming online. The creators of Toy Story. Good morning, fellas. Hey, what's shaking, bacon? Did you lose weight or a limb? Take you into the world behind your closet door. Roz, you're looking fabulous today. Is that a new haircut? New makeup. You've had a lift. You've had a tuck. You've had something. We've always been afraid monsters were there. Scary feet, scary feet, scary feet. Hook, the kid's awake. Waiting to scare us. Twins and a bunk bed. But what we didn't know is that we scared them. What happened? The kid almost touched me. You can't touch a child. They're toxic. If a kid ever got through one of our doors, the results would be catastrophic. Walt Disney Pictures presents... Kitty! That thing is a killing machine! A Pixar Animation Studios film. There's a kid here! A human kid! We can neither confirm nor deny the presence of a human child. Let's keep it. I always wanted a pet that could kill me! What are you doing? Monsters Incorporated. It's a musical. Put that thing back where it came from. Also help me. In order to power the city, monsters have to scare children so that they scream. However, the children are toxic to the monsters, and after a child gets through, two monsters realize things may not be what they think. What a terrible description. After a child gets through, what? What does that even refer to? Anyway, that is 2001's Monsters, Inc., directed by Pete Docter, also the director of Up, Inside Out, and Soul. 
the writer is Andrew Stanton, director of Finding Nemo, Wally, John Carter, and Finding Dory, as well as the writer of Toy Story, A Bug's Life, and Toy Story 2. He was co-written with Daniel Gerson, who co-wrote the screenplays of Monsters, Inc., Monsters University, and Big Hero 6, which was actually his last film as a screenwriter because he passed away from brain cancer in 2016. The cast, all-star as usual, uh, including, of course, our leads, John Goodman and Billy Crystal as Sullivan and Mike, respectively. Sue Buscemi in the cast, the uh, late James Coburn, Jennifer Tilly, John Ratzenberger, and Frank Oz here, the wonderful director as well. Uh, a couple of quick little trivia notes. John Goodman actually pushed for Steve Buscemi to voice Randall the villain in this because, of course, they had worked several times previously, including on The Big Lebowski and on Barton Fink, which we, of course, covered on our most recent episode of this very podcast. And this is the fourth movie to feature both John Goodman and Steve Buscemi and is the first of the four not to be directed and produced by Joel and Ethan Cohen. Liam, these Pixar films from this time period are sort of universally beloved. And when I go, when I look at that list of the ones that Pete Doctor himself has directed, Up, Inside Out, Soul, people like those movies, Liam. So I'm very curious to hear, what are your thoughts on 2001's Monsters, Inc.? Well, I have weirdly complicated feelings, only in that... Um, there's two sort of levels to it. On sort of a base level, it's a pretty fun movie, though we've talked about it a little bit, so let me be really clear. I do think Billy Crystal is incredibly annoying in it, and I think that part of that is his fault because it's just what his shtick is, but part of it is the way that Mike is written. I think they really want to contrast him with Sully and also have him be the voice, the quote-unquote voice of reason, because the idea here is that we're supposed to understand that the world of the monsters has this very intense and strict uh, taboo about these human children, which right. makes sense that this would develop. Because if not, monsters would just fuck with kids to make them scream. So there has to be this idea that you can't touch them or else they would just poke them or something. You know what I mean? Like, sure. this is it's an important idea for the for the thing to work. But Mike is more than just afraid of boo he is also like he's basically prejudiced you know what i mean like we don't think of it that way because she's human and they're monsters but within the context of the movie his bias against her goes beyond fear and self-interest he really starts to play into yo fuck that kid you know in a way that like is excessive it's unnecessary and it's not it'd be one thing if i really thought that's what the character needed but it's more like we want to really create the contrast here, and I think it's overplayed. It starts to get on my nerves, and not just like on this most recent viewing. I've thought this from day one. Sure, it's just it was, it's excessive. <laughs> I don't know why it's there. It's just more than what. Don't, I think don't you think he's needs. kind of like a kid, though? Right, like he's he, he's annoying in the way that a kid is, always talking bullshit and you know having prejudices against. I mean, you can also see why he might be prejudiced against someone who like a thing that is treated solely as an energy source. And also, it could kill him if he touched it. Yeah, I guess. But okay. I think he <laughs> has that attitude long after they both know that the kid is safe. Like they right. are fully aware now. And he still is just kind of like, eh, whatever, come on, we got to get back to our lives. I mean, if I thought the movie was playing up more, the idea that maybe him and Sully are in some sort of like 
uh, secret queer relationship that like this kid is ruining, then that would actually make the movie make more sense to me, you know, if it had this like undercurrent, you know, but I don't think that's really what it is. I think it is what you're saying, which is, well, he's uh, a ch- he's he's like a child, which he's not like a child, Doug. He's no. like a man who refuses to grow up, which is, by the way, far more annoying than actual children. Th- that actual is Actual children That are is a Billy Crystal vibe, though, by the way. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I don't want to harp too much on that. The thing about this movie is, so that's, on its surface, that's the only thing that gets on my nerves. Otherwise, it's fine. I think I'm one of those people who, if we're going to watch a Pixar movie, for the animation i think the animation at this time is not as great you know it's fine but it's it didn't win me over and i remember when this came out i was still very skeptical about computer animation i was Mm -hmm. more of a traditional animation person sure i think now that argument doesn't make a lot of sense especially because so many other companies are just mixing the two so it's hard to say this is traditional animation unless it's a miyazaki movie they probably are doing both and it's hard to tell what's what so i i think and also the quality of pixar's actual animation i think is skyrocketed compared to these early movies so um you know it's that part doesn't appeal to me the other thing about this and this is actually a theme with this guy not that he is solely responsible for the story but if i think about maybe that's just a theme with pixar is the idea that um we have to inject bureaucracy and capitalism into fantasy worlds so like soul or inside out all these places have bureaucratic corporate systems even like to me this movie where monsters who live in a fantasy world have to like gain resources to power their work i mean a when did they first figure this shit out and then b the fact that they've turned it into a capitalist system (laughs) it is a fucking dystopian nightmare that even our fantasies are dominated by this fucking bullshit it's like you know mark fisher is fucking clapping himself on the back here like this is the ultimate in capitalist realism like it's it's goddamn depressing now you don't have to think about it at that level. You can just watch it and it's fun. But like watching it for me, it's really hard to be like the big victory in the movie is figuring out that there's a better resource than screams. And that's laughs. That's like, other than the love they find for the child, that's really the big reveal of the movie. Right. Sure. Of course. and, And on one hand, there is this, when this happens in other Disney things where there is something kind of vaguely anti-capitalist in it, right? And this, there's a few Disney movies like this because in siding with the little guy against the mean person, inevitably you're going to have a bunch of movies that can be read on their surface as anti-capitalist because – the bad guy is almost always going to be the boss. The boss is always going to be the one that sucks because that's how capitalism works. So you, I've, I've actually seen people argue like, oh, Monsters Inc. is great because it's it's about how shitty bosses are. It's anti-capitalist. And I'm like, I guess, but the idea that like even our our fantasy worlds are ruled by capitalism, our, the insides of our bodies are complicated bureaucracies with bosses, like all that shit to me is utterly depressing. I'd rather watch something where – humans connect to a fantasy world and the people in that world it doesn't even occur to them that there are resources that need to be managed and owned like you know what i mean like that would be a much more encouraging thing than this idea of like no look the boss is a dickhead it's so great you know i mean i think i mean i do see what you're saying but to me the allegory in this movie is i mean i don't think it's necessarily anti-capitalist in fact i don't think that at all but i think it's meant to be an allegory for oil production right and sure oh no the idea that they found an alternative energy source at the end that was available the whole time that 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 was intentionally being squashed 
and that everyone's much happier making something that doesn't destroy the earth while you're doing it. Well, uh, yes, but all that does is say, because they haven't actually changed the system, Doug. No, they haven't. What they have found is a different kind of goo in the ground, but this one hurts things less. You know what I mean? Like the actual thing that would solve oil would be a total destruction of the system. What's more, it's not just the movie that annoy that that gets under my skin. It's that so many Pixar movies are like, you know what a f- you know what this unseen thing is like? It's like capitalism. Like they just keep injecting it, and it's such a fucking theme in these movies that watching this, I'm just like, ah, it just. It bums me out, man. It just straight up bums <laughs> like, me out. You're watching these kids' movies for an escape from the reality that is dominated 100%. by capitalism. Yes. And then you have to experience that in the fantasy as well. I mean, I get that. It does not bother me because to me it's like, well, at least it's commenting that's, on something real. But that's, this is the thing. That's why I'm saying it's two levels. There's a level at which the movie is enjoyable and it doesn't matter that this thing's going on. And, and I don't hold it against the movie. Even if there's aspects of the movie I still don't love, I wouldn't make it as my favorite Pixar. But watching it this time, I'd had this thought before. But on this watch, Doug, I was like, oh, this vague thought I had is more true than I realized. You know what I mean? You ever have an inclination towards something and you think, that's a crazy thought, but it might be true. And then you're watching this going, fuck, it's really true. I mean, I'd honestly compare it to the second time I watched Tar and realized it was as funny as I thought it was the first time, but I'm not a crazy person. That's how I felt watching this. I was like, oh, it's actually worse than I thought it was when I sort of said this like to myself in a weird like, Maybe I'm being crazy here, but, you know, whatever. Uh, Don't you love it when Sully seizes the means of production at the end? No. <laughs> he no, just no, becomes no. a new boss, right? It'd be yeah, better if the totally workers took I mean, don't be wrong. I do think there's something about that idea that, like, laugh is laughter is better. You know, this is for kids. So yeah. I love that the kids feel that way. And But I do think that the part of it that works for me is the actual juxtaposition here, right? The, in all these other kids' movies, the idea is that everyone's afraid of monsters, and then you find out that a monster's not that bad. You know, that's the message, right? The thing you're afraid of is not as bad as you think it is. And I love that in this movie, they turned it around where all the monsters fear children, right. and then they find out, oh, children are actually great. Like, I do like that that's what it is. That's cool. But there's a part of me that's like, we could get there without literally being set in a fucking factory, but whatever. I'm a crazy person. Who cares what I think? <laughs> well, I'm just going to throw it out there. I uh, I'd never had particularly strong, positive feelings towards Monsters, Inc. I always considered it sort of secondary Pixar. Uh, it certainly wasn't worthy of, of I mean, probably a, a jump up from A Bug's Life, but not uh, as, as good as the Toy Story films. This time, I fucking loved it. I just really enjoyed myself. Maybe it's because oh, my expectations I love that for you. weren't so high. And I was you know, I'm guy in his 40s watching him by himself in his apartment with no children <laughs> but i loved it i had a great great time with it i found it so entertaining i was laughing i was i found the the part with the all the doors the big action sequence i was exhilarated by it i even thought the animation was really good for that era i mean it really it is great for that era certainly and and you are exactly right that it the the quality of computer animated films has increased in terms of the animation you know tenfold since then but to me it i thought it was going to look to my eyes like the first toy story looks now to me where it's just so stiff and things but to me it's like and i know that like the big breakthrough for monsters inc was getting the fur right i still think it looks pretty darn good i think they create that world in a way that has a lot of really fun detail in it and uh yeah billy crystal has been annoying to me in everything i've ever seen him in so the fact that he's annoying in this did not at all surprise me it felt like they tailored that character to him 
to some extent. Liam, you mentioned your kind of um, hesitance regarding computer animated films, uh, computer generated like animated films uh, at that time period. I think a lot of people had that same sort of hesitation, especially because it looked like a hand-drawn animation was going away forever at that point, or at the very least it was being squashed. I mean, we know that Disney, you know, shut down their, their hand-drawn animation division and all that. So just so I'm interpreting what you said correctly at this point, have you gotten, are you able to, are you past that? Are you like, Oh, I can enjoy a CG animated movie just like I would a traditional animated movie. Uh, yes and no, a modern one. Yes. But I will say it's important to keep in mind when, when you say this is good for the time, it's more true than you realize, Doug, like, Oh, any Barbie movie straight into like 2016 <laughs> and I've watched many of them thanks to my daughter uh, this movie makes that look like it is remember those 70s car, quote unquote cartoon shows that was just a drawing and oh, the yes. mouths were like mm-hmm. real mouths that moved that's how the, that's Cross the difference that's the difference. That's the difference in quality. Like, yes, now this doesn't look as good to me as it did then. But, like, compared to, again, not just 2001, like, Barbie movies from literally 2014 that look like someone made it on uh, old one of those old colorful Macs, you know, that you would get, the big screen ones. Like, that's they, it's just shitty shit that was coming out. So, like, of course Pixar looked amazing. It's just... The level of computer animation is so much more now. Now, if we're talking aesthetically, especially like some of the newer anime I've seen that's done computer uh, with computer animation, in theory it looks good, but there's something about some of the aesthetics that have come in where they've really started to absorb some weird video game and internet aesthetics into the computer stuff that like I actually think looks kind of fucked, you know? And so, like, uh, that uh, there are examples of computer animation that still, like, super bum me out. But uh, my general feeling that, like, computer animation is fine, but I always prefer uh, uh, traditional, it just doesn't really hold up, right? And, and again, uh, the part of that that I think is the most important is that many things that have an aesthetic of traditional animation are not traditional animation. At least not if by that you mean solely hand animated. Sure. So many things. I mean, even... Uh, you know, Studio Ghibli stuff, even if the characters are animated by hand, the backgrounds are so often computer generated. So I just think like uh, it's less about just that the quality has improved or that my prejudice has decreased, but that it doesn't make sense to draw that line anymore because the line doesn't exist. So why am I even worrying about it? I'll just take each thing as its own thing. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I do think Monsters Inc. You're right; it is head and shoulders above the first Toy Story. But it's like, head and shoulders above these straight-to-video Barbie movies. <laughs> yeah, it so is. I'm not surprised about it. But what about its contemporaries? You know, this uh, Monsters Inc. did not win Best Animated Film at the Oscars that year. It lost to Shrek. Oh, Shrek looks like shit. What are we yeah. talking about? It's not even watchable anymore. <laughs> I mean, I. But I do think like we have to take into account how how short the window has become on animation improvement. Like if you actually compare the first frozen to the second frozen, just in the quality of animation, it's huge. It's like a massive difference. And like, it's so weird to think of that because 
when Frozen came out, I wasn't thinking, oh, this doesn't look good. It looked good. But then Frozen 2, if you really pay attention to it, you're like, oh, shit, they really got a lot better at this stuff, which is crazy to me because it's only a few years. It's not like a huge jump in time, you know? It's funny because hand-drawn animation has those kind of jumps as well, but it does feel like classical hand-drawn animation, even going back to the 50s and 60s, still holds up and looks good, right? It looks kind of, if not contemporary, then it can certainly hold up to an extent. Well, I think that's but, the that's the issue, right, is that, like, with hand-drawn animation, the reason that, um, like, the way that a lack of finances affects the animation is you got to cut corners sometimes in the amount of drawing that you're doing, right? But, like, it feels to me, at least, that people had ways around that. So, like, a less expensively done hand-drawn animation do more to aesthetics than to the mechanics of animation right. might still work. It's kind of like when you make a video game, if the video game isn't meant to look photorealistic, if it is meant to be caricature-ish, then you can pull off all kinds of goofy shit and the aesthetics still work. Right. Even though you didn't have to spend as much time as the dude who had to animate like every fucking beard hair on Joel from The Last of Us's face or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, It, it just seems like... When you are trying to look a certain way, which often com- computer animation is, it actually puts more burden on you, and it's hard. It's a harder bar to reach. Do you think into into the Spider Verse was like a turning point for that sort of thing? It seems like for a lot of people, I fucking who, hope so. Skeptics, which is like, oh, that is that shows an example where the aesthetics that people were wanting out of hand drawn in, 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 uh, animation was kind of mil- uh, mixed in with the CG animation. I think so, and it was also created. I mean, one of the things that drives me nuts with animation, right, is that you can do whatever the fuck you want, man. Yeah. Like the 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 especially fact now that, the fact that Spider Verse told a completely coherent narrative, but pushed the realms of interpretive design is in and of itself an innovation that shouldn't be. It should have been something people thought about from the goddamn beginning, and uh, and it's certainly had an influence. Like whether we're talking about the things that they've worked on, like uh, Mitchell's versus the machines, but even other projects that are clearly cribbing for them, like the latest Puss in Boots. I should watch Puss in Boots and think, oh, they're just ripping off Spider-Verse, but they're ripping it off so well. I don't give a fuck, man. That movie ruled. It was so good. It was it was so good that Maeve almost didn't like it because it was like too good for a six-year-old. You can't understand it, you dumb kid. <laughs> no, it, was, it was more like it, it dealt with like enough intense stuff that she was like i don't know this might be too much for me and i'm like yeah it might be (laughs) (laughs) liam i mentioned that i didn't necessarily consider monsters inc top tier pixar now for a lot of people and for quite a while i should say pixar was considered the gold standard for these kind of movies uh they had a string of huge successes critical and uh and box office it has become a little shakier in recent years but what would you consider, say, you know, one or two or three films that you would consider top tier Pixar? I mean, I don't necessarily buy into the whole uh, things have dropped off idea, right? Like, Fair enough. That's a common sort of take. So some of the ones that people have written off as not great, I really like. Like, so some of the recent ones like Luca or Turning Red. Sure, people, certainly. We're like, oh, the Pixar is really dropping the ball. I thought we're pretty good. Um, as far as classic ones, like I still get pretty 
wrapped up in wrapped up in up. That's a terrible fucking sentence. But take it you, back. <laughs> I can't, Doug. It's too. It's too late. Um, I actually literally have to find a list because I'm kind of forgetting what's. I'm looking at one right now, Liam. I can help you out. (laughs) You love the Cars trilogy, certainly. Okay, so of the recent Pixar movies, (laughs) the first one that actually disappointed me was Lightyear, and that's not because of the animation. It's the plot was a little light. I just felt like they really built it up, like this is the movie, whatever. Yeah, you miss Tim Allen. You're like, where's Tim Allen? I want Tim Allen. Uh, (laughs) no. Uh, but I didn't hate it. I still thought it was good. Um, I thought Soul was pretty good. I mean, for me, I'm kind of a Toy Story hater. Uh, mm. But I thought Toy Story 3 was pretty great, you know? Um, what else is on this list that I care about? I like Brave. Brave is pretty good. Brave is good. It felt like kind of throwaway at the time. How about The Incredibles? Are you an Incredibles guy? I just have such mixed feelings about The Incredibles. Like, on a base level, I love it, especially – um, the inclination of uh, Pixar to just give all their major female characters giant butts. I think that's great. Sure, certainly. But, uh, but the thing with The Incredibles is like uh, something about the plot always kind of rubs me the wrong way. I always just feel like, is this just like Anne Rand for kids? Is like, is this some sort of like primer for libertarianism or something? It kind of bums me out a little bit, but they're so well done that like there's a part in my brain that's going – I don't know about this shit, but there's another part of my brain going, yay! Especially like the second one with all the the fucking Jack Jack stuff. I loved all that. The short they did after where Jack Jack is just ha- hanging out with what's her name, uh, and she's going through all the powers and stuff. That was great. Like it's all so charming that I just want to put in the back like all the stuff in the uh, away about what it has to say about society and people who <laughs> seem special and all that shit. I just want to forget about it, you know. All right, Liam. We've got I've actually. By the way, I, by the way, I've never seen a Cars movie, so I don't have an opinion. Yeah, neither have I. I'm, I was just ragging on it for no reason. Uh, so top tier. What is like a top two, or what are two of the top for you, Pixar? It's got to be. I mean, Up has got to be on the list. Sure. I mean, it's hard because I really like the new one. I have a really strong emotional attachment to both Luca and Turning Red. Sure. But if I really look at the whole picture, it's going to be a, probably Wally and Up. Like those are the two that really stick sure. with me. I just have like. Not as positive feelings towards Toy Story and Monsters, Inc. uh, and Finding Nemo. Like, all of them are kind of, like, whatever to me. I don't really care. I think Up was really the first one where I thought, oh, maybe people are right and Pixar is pretty cool. Uh, And so, like, I think I have to hold that. And I just think Wally, yeah, I guess it's a little heavy-handed, but it's just so beautiful. It's just hard not to say that. So I think those, if I take a broad view, those are my favorites. But... Some of those recent ones I really do care about a lot. And so we'll see. Maybe over a longer timeline, I might end up being like, no, Turning Red is like my favorite. But I I feel like I just have recency bias towards it, you know? I think when people look back on this kind of most recent era of Pixar, it's going to hold up very well. People are going to be like, oh, my God, it really was great and and we didn't give it i mean the the thing is there are a lot of computer animated movies that get released every year so right. a lot of bad ones but there's a lot of good ones now too right there was a time when the dreamworks shit was just not good and now it can be so it's it's uh i think it's just a lot a lot of people have raised their game because pixar kind of led the way to a certain extent again i'm not i'm not gonna say that they're infallible certainly i'm i, I have no interest in those cars movies and there's a few on this list that 
Eh, it doesn't blow me away. I mean, Onward was kind of like, whatever. Like, it's yeah, fine, right. but it's like, uh, who cares about that? You know, even like, I loved it to a certain extent, Soul, but sure. the idea that Soul is supposed to be a kid's movie, I just don't think that's true. <laughs> like, I don't accept that. <laughs> a little either. self-indulgent, you think? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of self-indulgent, that was directed, of course, by Pete Docter, who also directed this film. He called this movie a metaphor for his own family life at the time. His first child was born as the movie was first being planned, and his wife was concerned at how much time he was spending at work. From there, he said his progress mirrored Sully's in the film. At first, the new child and the task of caring for it was frightening and intimidating, but as he warmed to the task, the child started to mean more to him than his work. Liam, does that reflect your own feelings of becoming a father, where at first you were like, well, I don't know about this, but then you were like, I don't care about work anymore. I just want to raise my family. Uh, No. <laughs> I mean, I mean, um, I kind of have a different view. First of all, I was I, I identify with the idea that it's scary, and I was right. definitely scared going in. And I'll straight up say to people like honest things that I think you're not supposed to say. Like, yeah, I didn't actually want to have a kid. I was 100 percent like not someone who wanted to have children. Whatever. But the idea that, like, oh, I, I wasn't into it at first, but it, I warmed up to it. Like, nah, dog. The, the, Maeve came into this world. They gave her to me to hold. And that was it. It was done. And, like, sure. I've never gotten to the point where I would totally throw out work, in a sense, because I always think that it doesn't – I'm not fully myself if I'm not doing something I care about. And then if I'm not fully myself, then I'm not fully there for Maeve. But from day one, the idea that, like, any job could tell me that if I was needed that I would have to put that aside because whatever I was doing was more important than being available and, and supportive to Maeve and Susan, that didn't work for me. I honestly think that's why one of my – I mean, I if I was more <laughs> of a professional person, not only do I think that I was – pushed out of a job partly because of being a new father i think i probably would have like sued over it but i am so insecure as a professional that like i just thought like no it's fine and only in retrospect am i like oh i fucking got manipulated and gaslit out of a job partly because i was a new dad and i couldn't be as fully present but i didn't need to be like there they, I, it wasn't really needed for me to be uselessly in the office for the job but it's just where they were at and people were still pushing like you're not at work unless you're in a room which like for that particular job it was ridiculous you know so i think um i think that that sort of growth thing it wouldn't be me like the moment that sully it, it, the girl is is with sully uh, that I would have been on board. You know what I mean? Like she's, especially in the movie context, like she's so cute. Right. And she's so endearing. And, you know, I mean, don't be wrong. He warms, he does warm up quicker than I think this guy's giving himself credit for. But, but you know, it is, it does take a little bit of time. And that, that just wasn't my experience. In fact, I would say my fears about being a dad were only heightened by the fact that I was immediately into it. So that's the other part. The idea that sure. like I was afraid, but then as I got to know her, I suddenly was less afraid. I'm like, what are you talking about? If I was skeptical after Maeve was bored, then I wouldn't have been afraid, right? right. It's actually the fact that I was immediately about it that that's what was so scary about it. It's like, <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, but am I going to be good at this? Because I really want to be good at this. <laughs> Liam, what did you think of the voice cast of this? You know, this was the first Pixar movie where the actual – actors 
who uh, were the leads were kind of credited along on the poster. You know, they didn't really push the fact that it was Tom Hanks in Toy Story, even though everyone knew it, or, or, or Tim Allen. But this one put John Goodman and Billy Crystal right on the uh, poster, their names, I mean. What did you think of the voice cast generally outside of Billy Crystal? Well, I mean, I love John Goodman. Uh, I think he's great. I think uh, Jennifer Tilly is funny in you know her role, but you know we we really mostly spend time with Billy Crystal and John Goodman. Sure. Uh, the only other person to talk about really in my mind is uh, our man, you know, who I think was very well cast, but we'll get into that later. I mean, I think you're discounting James Coburn as the CEO guy. Uh, oh, right, Waterloo. No, yeah, that's fair. He's he's good, but I don't know. I. <laughs> It just felt very standard, like, oh, yeah, an old yeah. white man. Of course he's evil. You know, like, it just... it's, it's funny. I haven't seen this movie since it first came out. I mean, there was a huge gap. I have not watched this movie in a long time. But, like, the minute that that character gets introduced, you're like, oh, right, he's going to turn evil before this movie is over. Yeah, it was it was kind of, like, right up front. I mean, again, not that I thought the other people were bad, but I just felt like I had the strongest impressions about... John Goodman, Billy Crystal, and Steve Buscemi. And honestly, the only performance that I thought was noticeable in a negative way was Billy Crystal. And and even still, I hold to my thesis that he's always annoying. I still wouldn't put this all on him. I think the character was written to be annoying, and he just plays that up. I think some of the things that he's doing that are irritating are also meant to be funny because Mike's sort of like the butt of a lot of jokes in this movie. Like a lot of the humor resolves around making Mike sort of the goofy butt of the joke. I'm not going to get into it, but I also love the soundtrack to Monsters, Inc., composed once again by the great Randy Newman. Um, I, I think it really adds to it. it. It is one of those aspects of the movie that I don't think are as celebrated in this context compared to in, say, the Toy Story one, uh, movies and things like that. I did want to get your take on... Um, Oh, what I wanted to ask you is, is there any favorite sequences that you like from the movie? I, I mentioned before the the action sequence with all the doors. That seems to be the one that people tend to point to. But is there any jokes or sequences that jumped out the, at you? I mean, I I think it's kind of corny, but when they take Boo to the office and then they're just continually trying to find her and there's a whole sequence where Sully thinks that she's been crushed yes, by a trash compactor. That part is I so that's great. amazing. I love that. He just keeps passing out again and again. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I, I like that a lot. Um, you know, I, it's, it's, it's hard because I, I don't actually think of this movie as – particularly funny which isn't necessarily true of all the pixar films and that might be sort of sacrilege to people that's not that it's not fun but i don't find myself laughing at a lot of the gags in it so mostly i just think it's like like you said there's the adventure of the door sequence but i also think you know when they meet uh uh the yeti uh, the abominable snowman, like yeah. it's kind of fun. I like that. I certainly <laughs> like him, like zipping out of there. Uh, but a, a lot of the movie, there's also something about this structure where it's like there's the almost climax and then there's the surprise thing or whatever. Yeah, right. That, that something about that is so common in these movies that mm-hmm. I find myself kind of emotionally being like, oh, here we go. Uh, which is that's 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 a little it kind of took away some of the pleasure of the movie for me. Um, and, uh, you know, I haven't watched it for a little bit, but I've I not that long ago watched Monsters University. And I think while that's a less compelling movie, some of the funny bits in that are a little bit funnier. You know, mm. like I think this movie, to its credit, 
is more interested in the relationships and some of the gags are also more for kids which is great it's a kids movie it should be for kids but like you know his the the uh jennifer tilly character attacking um uh mike it's just not that funny to me you know it's i think it's it's supposed to be funny but i'm just kind of like oh yeah cool whatever but i bet kids are like wow like there's just a lot of moments that i bet are very fun for kids and i think that's okay like i don't i i get a little tired with people punishing pixar movies because sometimes they're actually for their audience right as opposed to for us you know so you know whatever i mean again I also like Soul, and Soul I don't think is actually for kids. So it, it it's a two-edged sword, you know? And so for me, while I wouldn't say this movie, like, makes me laugh that much, I do think it's very appropriate for kids, uh, even if it does indoctrinate them into a capitalist system. <laughs> Just living in this world indoctrinates them into that. 100% true. <laughs> I agree. Uh, Liam, let's talk about Steve Buscemi as Randall, the villain of the piece, or at least one of the villains of the piece. Uh, one of the things I kind of like about this character is how unrepentantly evil he is. That yep. there's just there's almost nothing positive about him. You know, it's funny that they originally had scripted instead of Monsters University, which is a prequel to this movie, they actually did script a sequel to it that was going to be made, I think, by another company that wasn't Pixar. And in that movie. Randall was going to have a, uh, a a face turn. He was going to become a good guy at some point in it, which is a little hard to believe when you see him in this movie. He just is such a bad guy. What do you think of Steve Buscemi as Randall Boggs? I mean, I agree. He is such a bad guy. But um, funny enough, my view of this movie from a capitalist mindset kind of uh, uh, makes me have a little more compassion for him than the movie wants me to. Only in Interesting. The sense, only in the sense that if every awful thing they say about the human children is true then why is randall wrong i mean obviously they're not toxic but the the monster universe really treats these kids only as a resource right and one that they have to rely on though i'm like you don't need what the fuck do you even need power for in the first fucking place other than like cars and you know what i mean like why are we why are we even a system where monsters are like i can't get on the computer if we don't scare children like it's already such a weird setup but taking the setup as it is <laughs> randall is evil because he doesn't live into the fake ideology so everyone has lied to themselves enough to make it seem like this system makes sense and only randall and the boss are like the kids are just right there just suck the fucking screams out like why do we care and so the idea of a sequel where Randall suddenly learns that like kids are also monsters and thus deserving of monster respect would like technically make sense. However, because I think Randall within the context of the movie is more fun as such a fucking slimy, unrepentant, evil being, I do think a sequel, well, a sequel like that would work in the way that Disney always fucks up these like straight to video sequels like they're all <laughs> a goddamn nightmare so like that would would make sense to some extent but i think that like the thing about the movie that's so funny to me is like the big reveal is that you know uh uh, uh sully learns that children are not awful beings who should just be utilized they should be treated like actual monsters i'm trying to switch monster and people right sure I hear you. and so like <laughs> but the thing is is that like i we feel that because we want that to happen because we're fucking people but i but what randall is doing is just like 
being efficient. He's figured out that the it's a lie that children are toxic. And he knows that without children, there's no power. So he's just fucking cutting out the middleman. And what I don't like about the movie is most people watching it, that's their parents. Their parents are Randall. Their parents are not fucking Sully. You know, the world they live in is a world full of Randalls. Well, and bosses. Yeah. Empowering Yeah, the that's our world. I, I, I said he, Randall's the guy who came up with fracking. That's what this is. That's why I can't necessarily follow your <laughs> logic in regards to it. He's the guy who just came up with a better way of destroying the planet. To be fair, fracking is actually really stupid. But I see what you're saying. You know, and the problem, the thing about the movie that would really work is if Sully made the case. What would make him a pure villain is if Sully made the case to them that about the laughter and then right. they rejected it for no mm-hmm. fucking reason. Like like the electric- There actually should be a sequence like that where he's like, I found this thing that can yeah. do it, and they just reject it because but you know, that's one of the things that makes the boss character, the James Coburn character, at least somewhat sympathetic, where he's just like, we're fucked if we don't find a way to figure this out. And this person has given me a way to figure this out. Yeah. And, and, and you know, what really sucks about the Randall character is not just that he's efficient. He clearly takes joy in what he's doing. So we're yeah. supposed to not, not like him. And that's fine. Like, I, I'm OK with it. But there's a part of me that's like. If they really wanted to make this case stronger, and they don't have to because it's a kid's movie, but if they did, a scene where Sully's like, actually, if we're nice to kids, it would be better for us. And they go, well, I don't fucking care because we're invested yeah. in this thing. Because that would actually, it, the metaphor that you're talking about, that would be more accurate. You know, That yeah. would be like in the 70s where people are like, hey, I made an electric car. They're like, no, you didn't. And they <laughs> buy the patent and then try to murder those people, you know? Uh, so what did you think of his voice performance as Randall? Great. It's fucking great. I, I, it's so funny to me that he had to petition to get him into that role because I'm fully invested in – I mean, you know, I'm being hard on Billy Crystal. I'm fully invested in Billy Crystal as Mike. I just wish Mike wasn't such a piece of shit. Sure. It, I'm fully invested in Steve Buscemi as Randall. Like he – there's something about the way he characterizes Randall, really relying on some of his own sort of Cretan tendencies – uh, you know, some of the ways that he has characterized, you know, it's the, what's the difference between this character and the guy in Fargo? Not a lot. You know, it's like that kind of Steve Buscemi thing. Uh, but but really tailored to uh, this movie, it, it just really works. And I could really see it being confusing for kids of a certain age who then grew up and saw Steve Buscemi and other things like, <laughs> wait, is that is that fucking Randall? What's going on here? It's wild that that, like you said. That he might have taken some convincing because one of the things that are most associated with Steve Buscemi as a performer is his voice. But I think that this is the first major work that he provided his voice for. And now it's since then he's done tons of fucking animated movies, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, yeah, you're, you're right. Maybe it's just because they, people didn't think of him that way. But, like, Steve Buscemi was already a household name by the early 2000s. Uh, it, it's amazing. Well, I mean, they still eventually agreed, so I guess it wasn't that hard. And I mean, they might have been looking for someone. For... They might have been looking for someone who's a bit more arch. Maybe. You know, like Disney villains can be real, like you know, mustache twirling, uh, uh, gay stereotypes, oftentimes. And so, yeah, that's Steve, true. Steve Buscemi being more of like a gritty New York guy is maybe not what they had in mind, but. Even then, it's like, why not? It works for the role, especially because it's, everything is so industrial. They're so in a city. You know sure. what I mean? Like, it's also very, like, in a real world. He just feels like a, a really uh, interesting performance for that or a, a compelling performance for that character, you know? Um, 
Any final thoughts on Monsters, Inc.? I mean, obviously, it's not one of your faves. Uh, you hate the fact that it reinforces capitalism. <laughs> Again, I'm just amazed that it's part of the movie. It's yeah, just yeah. weird. I, mean, I, I see that, what you're that, saying. That being said... It is it called is, Monsters, Inc. <laughs> yeah, like, why the fuck do we have to do that? But on the other hand, it's fun. I mean, I definitely like it more than Toy Story. I think Toy Story is generally overrated, and this is pretty fun. Um, but do you like it more than Toy Story Two, or is that are you just lumping the Toy Story? Movie? I'll be honest, I don't remember Toy Story Two, so I, sure. I I've watched the first one recently, and it's not for me. Uh, and I have really positive memories of Toy Story Three, which I think I saw in the theater, and I have no idea why I saw it in the theater, but I definitely huh. did. Uh, and I remember thinking it was really great. Toy Story Two, I have no. I mean, uh, straight up, I wasn't sold on Pixar. Not even with Wally. I think it was Up, and huh. then after Up, I went back and watched Wally. So the the chances are that I don't like Toy Story two, or at least I didn't like it when I did watch it. But it's been so long, I don't, I don't know. I don't really think about it much. Whereas weirdly, I've watched Toy Story four a few times because Maeve is was really into the Spork character <laughs> uh, so much that we've watched that quite because she likes the Spork. <laughs> Uh, so any final thoughts generally on this movie? Yeah, it's good. It's fun. It's good. It's 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 not – I don't quite understand the diehard fandom. I think that's a bit of a nostalgia. But it's certainly better. I, it wasn't for me. I gave it five stars on Letterboxd. I thought it was I think, absolutely I think, amazing. I think you're crazy. But uh, but it's not bad. It's not like it's not like I think you're crazy because it's a piece of shit. It's just sure. to me, I find it less – well, and it's probably just my bias because I watch way more kids – things than i want right and right 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 while there is a ton of stuff way worse than this most kids things are bad if i create a list of good kid things this doesn't crack the top 10 for sure. me easily yeah liam uh changing paths a little bit uh just recently uh quentin tarantino started to talk about his upcoming film the movie critic which is also meant to be his final film he's been saying this for over a decade that when he hits his uh it's his, what is his 10th film that he's going to retire from uh, feature-length movie making for good. He says he might go in to make television work and do more writing and things like that. Uh, but we are, on the next episode, going to go back to the beginning. His, you know, technically, his debut film, 1992's Reservoir Dogs. This is one of the biggest ones in the Steve Buscemi canon. I felt that with that Tarantino announcement, eh, maybe it was time for us to finally get there. Any uh, excitement? in terms of uh, revisiting Reservoir Dogs? I think so. I think I just have such a complicated relationship with Tarantino because I really grew up on some of his movies, but I do kind of wonder if we've given him a pass on some weird shit for too long. So I'm kind of excited to revisit it just because it's been so long since I watched it um, that, you know, maybe I'll see it with some sort of new eyes. But in my memory, uh, it's great. You know, like that's when I think about it, I think it's hard, but it's great. So we'll see what happens. It's it's real interesting the way its reputation has kind of ebbed and flowed over the past yes, 20 agreed. years or so. Right. Where I feel like it's it, it, it was really liked and beloved when it came out to, to a certain subsection. Pulp Fiction then eclipsed it pretty significantly. But people then discovered it after Pulp Fiction, people who hadn't heard of it before. And, it, it you know, in the late 90s, everyone had like the posters on their wall and shit like that. Then in the early 2000s, there were still people kind of imitating that style. A lot of really terrible movies came out of that. And then its reputation kind of fell 
down quite a bit, but I feel like it's recovered a bit uh, in recent years. I'm uh, yeah, I'm really interested to see your take on it. I watched it last year for the first time in maybe a decade. I'm gonna hold off on telling my thoughts on it right now, but yeah, it, there's a lot to chew on, a lot to talk about on the next episode of How Do You Do, Fellow Kids. 1992's Reservoir Dogs. Liam, if people want to check out more episodes of How Do You Do, Fellow Kids, or the latest Cinema Smorgasbord podcasts, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, Doug, they can, of course, head to cinepunks.com, that's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, where there are the latest episodes of this podcast, as well as a whole family of podcasts. Who knows? We might even have new ones at some point. You never know. There's always cool stuff over there. So head over to cinepunks.com. And if you want updates on what's going on at cinepunks.com, you can follow Cinepunks on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. The archives of Cinema Smorgasbord, Doug, are always over at cinemasmorgasbord.com. Uh, we'll find everything we've been doing since we started this wild ass show talking about all manner of crazy stuff uh, and uh, on cinemasmorgasbord.com uh, the <laughs> shows are actually organized by topic so you can you know just check out the Jackie Chan ones or just check out the Carol Kane ones or whatever you're in the mood for uh, and if you want to uh, know what's going on with the latest from me and Doug uh, we're on uh, Twitter at Cinema Smorg, S-M-O-R-G. You can, of course, also follow Liam on Twitter, at Liam Rules, that's R-U-L-Z. I'm on there as well, at Doug underscore Tilly, that's T-I-L-L-E-Y. And if you are enjoying what you're hearing, yeah, you can go over to Cinema Smorgasbord, check out our entire archive. Why don't you check out our recent episode of uh, Whatever Happened to Vic Diaz and the Beast of the Yellow Knight? Or why don't you tell a friend or leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice? There's so much you could be doing for this ad-free show that we're providing you. (laughs) (laughs) That you're not doing. You're listening and you're not doing the work. Get it it together, people. Come on. I always figure, Liam, that as soon as we hit the plug section, people just turn off the podcast anyway. Yeah, that's true. I can say whatever the fuck I want. (laughs) That's right. Well, let's hear hear your most controversial opinion that you formed over the past few months. Oh, man. I have so many, Doug. I I know. We're really opening up. uh, uh, Do I I say that Pumpkinhead sucks? That pisses people off. I mean, you've already said that several times. Do I say that that, um, uh, whenever you eat McDonald's, you're showing the world that you hate your body? Is that a thing I should say? Interesting. Does that that go for a lot of fast food or is it McDonald's specific? Just McDonald's. I I, I legitimately think it tastes terrible and is toxic. Mm. And I don't mean that in some sort of health and wellness sense. I mean like... When I eat it, my body revolts. And I, maybe I'm weird, but or maybe other people are just used to toxins. I don't know. But that shit is gross. I'd rather eat some other fucked up local shit than McDonald's because I just have a bad experience every time I go. Fair enough. I don't, and, and that's one that I just sort of throw out there. I don't even really. And there's something I've, there's some things I've said recently that people get really mad about, but I try to like let those things go. What was it that I said that really? Oh, well, people hate that I only like crunchy peanut butter and i think creamy peanut butter is fucking disgusting mm. it like really bums me out when people eat creamy peanut butter i'm just like what is wrong with you yeah i don't i mean i i eat creamy peanut butter uh and crunchy oh, peanut butter t-shirts uh, oh man Doug. oh please i recently found out that people really like those super soft t-shirts uh the like brands like next level or elo or whatever the fuck, and they're like super. You know the ones talking about? They're super tight and they're super thin. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, people yeah, yeah. love them, and yeah. I think they are the worst. And so I suggested that if you, if that was your favorite kind of t-shirt, then you probably 
would fail one of those tests that say whether you're going to be a psycho killer or not. Oh, my goodness. And uh, people did not like that. And uh, they mostly didn't like it because they hate Gildan, which is the more stiff shirt so much, that they were like, how dare you like Gildan? And I'm like, no, I don't like Gildan. But there are other companies besides this one. It just feels – here's the thing, Doug. I'm a largeman. And I just think all those light shirts look bad on men of my carriage. And whenever I put one on, I think whoever printed the shirt hates me for my body. It's like when I put on a next level shirt, I feel like I'm watching the whale, Doug, in that I'm being judged for my size. Well, I mean, that's fair enough. By the way, if you do want to check out some really nice shirts, you can go over to Rough Cut Fan Club. Thank you. I was going to make that connection, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say what the current drop is because we don't know when this episode is going to come out, but there's always great stuff over at Rough Club Fan Club, RoughCutFanClub.com <laughs> as well. And why don't you follow them on Twitter at RoughCutFanClub as well. Um, only thing I'm going to say as a controversial opinion is that half the people who now hate everything everywhere all at once would love it if it was a box office bomb. Um, and oh, I think that's fuck. That's probably true, actually. <laughs> and also, I, Tar I think that... is funny. If you don't think it's funny, fuck you. I think Tar is funny. I think it's intentionally funny. I don't think. Yes. Yeah, yes. I, people who are like knocking on Paul Thomas Anderson for saying that he found it so funny as if he was like seeing something that didn't exist. I think it's not only funny. I think it's very much intentionally. I mean, look, it's not rolling the fucking aisles funny. It's no. a clever kind of funny. Yes. But I mean, it's 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 definitely it's intentional. Anyway, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me so bad, especially when people I, I think I otherwise like and they're like, oh, it was such a self-serious movie for white people. And I'm like, oh, I, oh OK. Yeah, oh, no, fine. Just say whatever you want to say. It's fine. <laughs> People just get really upset about it when they really hate it. And I'm always like, I don't think that's what it is. But cool, whatever. Well, maybe that's an argument for another day when we do our entire podcast about Tar for some reason. We could do it. We could get Adriana in there. We'll we'll talk about Tar for a while. <laughs> and that would be funny if we just did like a... Uh, like a, an episode every once in a while that was just new stuff for no reason because all we cover is old stuff and sure. we're just like yeah on uh, the latest episode of what's in the movies right now <laughs> that's the name of the that's the name of the show hey, what, what's playing what's playing right now and we just talked about a new movie but that would be hard for you because you don't often go to see new movies I don't often go to see new movies that's true uh, the theatrical experience around here is is even worse than it is in a lot of other places but, I'm sure uh, I'm sure but yeah. yeah. But, you know, we're going to be covering a new movie on the next episode of the Eric Roberts podcast, a fairly new one. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So oh, I mean, I'm excited maybe, to watch that one. Yeah. Maybe maybe we're switching our whole path here, 160 plus I mean, episodes. I hear that movie's <laughs> terrible, but I'm still excited to watch it. I, I know some people who absolutely loved it and other people who are like, it has amazing parts, and but overall is maybe not great. Those kind of mixes make me interested to see the movie. But let's uh, let's uh, let's put that on the back burner for now, Liam. We're going to be back very soon with another episode of How Do You Do, Fellow Kids, featuring Quentin Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs. But for now, good night, everyone. Night night. We're on a beach. Oh yeah, we're on a beach. We're drinking income taxes and the sand at our feet. We're on a beach. Oh yeah, we're on a beach. We're drinking income taxes and you're fond of me Just breathe out and in Keep your eyes on this ring as I swing it back and forth on this here string I lit our heavy wings All the things that trouble you fall right out 
beach We're drinking income taxes and the sand at our feet We're on a beach, oh yeah, we're on a beach We're drinking income taxes and you're fond of me